Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. We're happy to have Steve Krupa back with us. Hello, Steve. Hi, Tom. How are you? Nice job last week. Oh, Thank good. You. you had a listen? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. You know, we've, we've, sure. You know, we 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 have uh, have some uh, some other uh, arrows in our quiver just in case we need to to keep things going. But as I said on the podcast, we're doing building great momentum and, and support behind the podcast, so we don't want to let a week go by <laughs> without delivering something. But it's nice to have uh, have your dulcet tones back. There you on go. The air. And there uh, you go. And, and a great interview with uh, with Chris Sigaron of yep. Imagine Health, and uh, you and he had a, a really great conversation about the company. Uh, but you kind of veered into a, a couple of different directions as well. Uh, what was your uh, takeaway about the company first, and then let's talk about some of the side topics? Yeah, I mean, I I think that 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 they are uh, they are leveraging a, a trend in uh, in in building provider networks, high performance performance provider networks, and and offering those as an alternative to to, to broad networks. I mean. When um, when you cut through all the data and you do the analytics, it's it becomes very clear in any region or for any health plan that there are there are simply providers out there that deliver higher quality care, better outcomes on a risk adjusted basis at a lower cost than others. And um, the argument in the wave that we went through and we talked a little bit about that when 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 I, during the bright health interview was you know the original cost containment idea was was this group model hmo tightly knit primary care group um delivering you know focused care um to to members with the idea that it would be a health maintenance organization right it would help maintain their health mm-hmm. and also be an insurance vehicle and and over time that um, that that product has frayed into, for the most part, PPO type products, where most health insurance out there is not an HMO. It's most it might have deductibles and stuff, but it has a very broad network. You can go to any place in that network, and in, in some ways, it was thought that the success of a health plan is built around a broader network. But what employers are seeing when they look at their data is no. A broad network might be appealing from sort of the point of view as I can go to any doctor I want, but the reality is is that there's a meaningful difference between the performance of doctors. It's just like any bell curve, like any sort of method of, of evaluating um, anything. You're going to have average, you're going to have below average, you're going to have excellence. So this idea is let's find the excellent, do- excellent doctors, let's build a network of excellent doctors, and let's offer that as a separate product that should cost less. Mm-hmm than the broader network product. And to the extent that that works, um, it probably works very well in urban areas, uh, it's attractive. It's certainly attractive for employers who are really struggling with healthcare expenses. And they've raised some venture money. I think they raised about a $15 million Series A a couple of years yeah. ago. So they're, so they're drawing some interest. And uh, It's an expensive idea, building networks. Networks are, you know, some health plans would tell you that they, Blue Cross plans in particular, would tell you that they think their crown jewel is their network. So... You know, if you can build a better network, you've got a competitive advantage. It's not the easiest thing to do. Terrific. 
the, the, the we'll get in let we'll let the side topic sort of take care of itself. You have yeah. an interesting conversation about uh, HR, but I also just wanted to note that you you amazingly seem to have a book for almost every subject, something you've read <laughs> and can bring to the table. And we're gonna we're I gonna, spend a lot of time on Amtrak. I have I to keep myself great. busy somehow. I want our, our listeners yeah. to stay tuned. I'm talking with with Mario about uh, crafting something where maybe we can. Uh, let people take a peek at Steve Cooper's library and what some of his recommendations sure. are. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll get into the interview in just a second. I did want to say a bit of a programming note. We did open registration for the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, which is happening on November 30th in on 2017, this year, in Boston. And uh, opened it today, as a matter of fact. And uh, registrations are, are literally pouring in. So uh, wow. if you folks want to be there, you might want to hurry up. We sold out the last two years. So uh, it's great. Yeah, we had a lot of probably close to 100 people asking us, you know, when are you going to register? I want to sign up. So uh, it's a it's a hot property. So people better uh, better pay attention. Go to healthag.com yeah. and they can register. Put my ticket aside for me, will you? Don't, we, don't count me out. I'm there. Well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll leave your name at the door. And just uh, you'll be on the list. I promise. I'll be on. The, I'll be on your guest list plus one. <laughs> just tell the bouncer that you know Tom, and he'll let you right in. <laughs> Great. Well, let's get into this conversation with Chris Cigar at uh, Imagine. Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with Chris Cigarant from Imagine Health, the CEO. Welcome, Chris. Thanks. It's great to be here, Steve. Yeah, so I, I, the uh, it looks like you're you're uh, you're embarking on an, on a new way to deliver healthcare uh, through provider efficiency and other things, and I I want to get into discussing that uh, down the road here. But you know, so the first thing that I'm interested in is uh, is your path towards becoming you know the the CEO of a, of a young company. Uh, it's not it's not a job for everybody. Um, some, some people it's a dream, but for, for, for other people, it's something they sort of come to over the course of a career. Uh, can you give me a sense as to how you, how this became an ambition and a, and a desire of yours? Absolutely. And I, and I would, I would definitely be in the second group. This is not something that I sought out to do in terms of being a CEO. I, I was a consultant for several years, uh, had the opportunity to join a, a company, a healthcare company in Nashville, that was early on in its life, you know, probably $50 million in revenue and about 400 people. And uh, I, I joined, and, and after a couple of years, the CEO asked me to, to run HR uh, when we were going through, you know, sort of 30 to 40% growth year over year. And I, and I looked him in the eye and said, hey, I'm not an HR person. And he said, that's why I want you to run HR. Uh, I did that for about five years uh, as we got up to about 4,000 employees. Uh, which was a, a wonderful way to learn to be part of an executive team that really went to be, it became went from being a small company to a big company, um, and then he came in one day and said, "Hey, I want you to go build a division," and, and I did that, and uh, and that was another five years. So I ended up having a you know about a 13 year run at, at what started as a small company and and had multiple different lives within that organization, and. Uh, and, and decided I was going to take a year off after having a good run and had a, a couple different opportunities and was approached by this place with an opportunity I really couldn't pass up. But, uh, but my path to this, this role in this company has been more, uh, I guess, circumspective and, and, uh, and just by sort of following my heart and my passion than it has by setting out to be a leader of an organization. So um, 
so I, I, I always find HR interesting. So when, when I think about it today, I say it's <laughs> human capital management. I've seen people, uh, we're, we're now calling people, giving people the chief title any chance we get, right? So it's, I've seen chief yes, people, chief people officer. Um, but I'm, I'm, I, I read uh, Ben Horowitz's book a few times uh, called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. I don't know if you've ever read that. If you haven't, it's a cool book. But he describes building a company as being people, uh, product, and profits. So in, in, in sort of yeah. like priority. So did your experience uh, running HR for a company growing like that give you sort of uh, an insight into the people, ca- uh, sort of the people factor of building a company? It, it did. And, and it, was a, it was a fabulous opportunity to really learn about the power of culture. I was fortunate enough to work with an executive team that, that cared deeply about culture. Uh, you know, we did think we were on the fortune best places to work list and, and, and we were really proud of the human engine that made, uh, made the company's growth possible. And it was something that we, you know, we screened for, we hired for, we fired for, uh, and that we spent a considerable amount of resources, uh, building and nurturing, you know, not just in the good times. I always say it's really easy to get great people to join the organization when it's on the front cover of magazines, obviously for good reasons. Mm-hmm. But when things are hard, uh, that's when culture really comes into play. And, and we went through layoffs and had uh, em- employee loyalty go up. Uh, it, it was a really, it was an amazing experience, uh, one that, that I'm really grateful to have had. You know, that being said, I also realized that uh, I wanted to be more on the operating side than on the than on the HR side, right. but but it's uh, I, I value the culture of the organization and that's something that I've brought here. It's uh, it's I think the most important piece. We, you know, we used to say, you know, give me an average strategy and a great culture, and we'll crush other companies. And uh, and I think that that generally is true. Yeah, I might actually write that down and and steal that from you if you don't mind. Um, Feel free. I stole it from. You know, it was it was something that emerged <laughs> from our organization and. And uh, and that I've really found to be true. So b- b- before we leave the topic, obviously culture is more than sort of ping pong tables and pizza on Fridays. Can you can you give me a couple of secrets towards building a great culture? Sure. I, I, you know, we we talk about hiring people that that put the mission first, not themselves first. Right? You know, not hiring mercenaries, uh, but really hiring people that are committed. And it's and it's much easier in healthcare. Right to, to to talk about the mission of the organization and really, you know, saving lives, giving people the opportunity to have affordable, quality health care, making a difference uh, at the point of care. It, it's much easier in the interview process, in company meetings, to connect people with that mission. And we really look for, and this has been true for me for my whole career, we look for people that are passionate about that mission uh, first, as opposed to, you know, their own journey, their own balance sheet. Uh, my experience has been if we can find those people, that we can give them the opportunities to grow their career, to, to do well financially, to do all of the other things, but the mission has to come first. And, and, uh, and I've always been really clear about that. And when we can find those people, the rest of the pieces take care of themselves. The other piece I would say is, you know, I had the opportunity years ago to, to work with uh, with someone who, who coined the phrase psychological safety. And, and it's been you know, in the popular media over the past couple of years, more and more, but creating an environment where people can openly disagree in the meeting. I would say I want to have the meeting in the meeting room, not in the bathroom after the meeting. And so it's not about all, 
you know, getting along and being nice, but it's about having an underlying level of trust where good ideas happen in the room and, and, and healthy disagreement happens in the room and people feel that no matter if they're a more vocal person or a more quiet person, that their input is valued. And, and that's, a, that's a critical part of our organization uh, and I think what makes it a, a special place to work. Yeah, it's it's it, and and you know it's it's funny. I I have experience running you know software companies where, you know, you're not always dealing with you know the most garrulous people um, as part of the yeah. workforce, and a lot of a lot of what you've got to do is is bring them in, and you want them to work in Scrum teams, and you want them to to, to uh, incorporate Agile. And of course, I've seen team building exercises in in Agile that do exactly what you just described. Um, you have to sort of Accept the fact that you are vulnerable, even if you're the senior guy in the room, and you've got yeah. to let people know that that uh, they they have the right to disagree with you. I always try to end a meeting with, "Does everybody think what we just decided makes sense?" Right? Because yeah. <laughs> the one thing you don't want people doing is running off uh, on a mission they don't believe in. You know, that's the first step. That's, that's, that's exactly the first step right. towards discontent. And and my experience in organizations over the years is that that the majority of organizations do exactly that. Yeah, they're, 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 the meeting after the meeting is when the honest conversation happens, and that's just uh, it, it's an impossible way to run a startup. It's an impossible way, based on my experience, to run any organization. And uh, and I really try to go out of my way when somebody uh, speaks up in a meeting who generally doesn't do that after the meeting to go and really acknowledge that that courage that they've shown, because that's the kind of courage that we need to be successful as an organization. Cool. I think that's good good advice for. For folks out there, and it's uh, I saw this great video. I I am trying to remember uh, who the star of the video was, but he was a naval submarine captain, right? <laughs> and uh, you know, obviously in the Navy, it's a, it's it's you basically deliver orders, and your assignment, if you're a junior officer or uh, or a sailor, is to take those orders and execute on those orders. And his story yeah. was, and he was on this sub, and he could run the sub you know, in his sleep. And so, so all of a sudden they, they said, Oh, you're so good at that. We got this new sub. We want you to go run. And he got on the sub and he had no idea how to run it. And it was <laughs> at that moment in time that he started to break through, break his way of, you know, command and control, naval discipline, and actually, you know, open up to a leadership uh, type, type role that encouraged people, to teach one another and sort of, uh, you know, because if you give somebody an order, even if the, the guy couldn't do it, he'd try to execute it, right, technically. So yeah. it's, a, it's a great video. I'll see if I can find it. Maybe I'll post no, it. No, I'd love to blog. see that. I'd love to, love to see that. So let's, uh, let's get into Imagine Health. Um, tell me the story great. behind the company. Tell me what you guys are up to and why. You know, it looks like a very cool idea. So, uh, so give me the background and, and, and the, uh, the mission, if you will. Terrific. I'd love to. So it, it, the, our founders started the organization several years ago, uh, having spent a lot of time on the hospital side and, and really saw that from an employer perspective, there was no differentiation in what an employer was buying for their network. And if you think about networks today, amongst if you're a, a self-insured employer, the networks that you get from a carrier are all essentially exactly the same. And, and they're based on an all-in 
broad, you know, it's, we call it a broad panel PPO, which basically means in any geographic area, almost all of the providers are in. Mm -hmm. And then it's up to the individual to go figure out where to go. Well, she realized that that didn't really make a whole lot of sense and that there was data out there that was available where you could go figure out who the high-quality providers were and who the low-quality providers were and who the high-cost providers were and who the low-cost providers were. And there was a ton of information available that no one was really using because the, the, the law of the land was to have a network, you had to have everybody in it. Right. And there were a couple exceptions, but the rule generally is, was and is, the broad panel PPO rules. And so what we've done is we've taken that idea, which is, does it really make sense to have everybody in a network? We don't think so. And, and we've gone out in specific geographic areas and done a, a really sophisticated data analysis to figure out who are the highest quality providers, right, hospitals and physicians and then to build networks around those providers, right? And so what we've done is we've said, you know what, there's great, uh, there's, a, there's great variance in the quality of care with things like mortality, complication rates, patient safety. And, and we don't wanna build a network that has the variance in it. We wanna narrow the variance to high quality. Mm -hmm. and, and then the other piece that we've recognized is, uh, guess what? You know, you have the you know when, when the, there are always those annual trust surveys, and the the, the the most untrusted or the least trusted organizations are generally the tobacco companies. The second on the list is generally the insurance companies. <laughs> Don't forget I mean, about the cable companies. You're right. The insurance. Yeah, companies. and the cable companies are probably a close third. <laughs> <Yeah>. Fair enough. <laughs> and so you look at that and you say, okay, well that's a low bar to jump over. <laughs> and so if if we're going to go build this beautiful network. What we also need to do is we need to surround it with a member experience that people can be proud of. And, and we've sort of coined the phrase that, that we, want to pe we want people who, who use our service to feel like they're getting a warm hug. And generally, we, when we ask people, do you feel like you get a warm hug from your insurance company, they laugh because their, their experience is so dissonant from a warm hug. It's more like a punch in the nose or, you know, being held on, uh, you know, held hostage as opposed to what we would refer to as a concierge member experience. And so essentially what we've set up with our network is what we refer to as a modern health plan for self-insured employers that includes the highest quality providers, flexible administration services, and a concierge level of member experience. Uh, and because we're not hamstrung by you know, being in this business for 20 years or 40 years or 100 years in some cases, uh, having a legacy business that's, that's really the foundation is uh, a broad panel PPO, we can go into a market and choose the highest quality providers and not worry about screwing up the rest of our business, our broad panel business, like the carriers would. Mm -hmm. and, and so what we've sought out really is to create the next generation of what, a, what we believe a health plan should be, which is focusing on the member, focusing on creating a default option for the member, which is a high quality option, as opposed to leaving it up to the member to navigate the healthcare system, which is virtually impossible. Hey everyone, Tom here. I just want to take a quick break to uh, to restate that registration for the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit is now open. Uh, we we literally had close to 100 people asking us when uh, when registration would begin, so we decided why not. So it is uh, go to healthog.com. It's the word health, followed by letters egy.com to uh, register for the event. It's happening on November 28th. 
uh, at the Mandarin Oriental in Boston. Now back to this conversation. So there's there's a couple of ways that I could imagine building that business. So I'll throw two models out there, and maybe you you've built hey. it the third way. Uh, sort of the first model would be to go out and rent a PPO network, so you get the pricing and the credentialing all in place, and then to just provide a benefit design that uses a limited portion of that network. That would be one way to do it, I guess. The other way to do right. it, of course, would be to completely build from scratch your own network, right? And I'm kind of curious as to whether you've taken a hybrid approach or taken one of those two approaches. We've decided to build it our own, on our own, uh, using the, you know, starting with the analytics. Uh, and so we're using you know, commercial claims data. We're using Medicare data. We're using a bunch of proprietary data sets. We're running it through what I, what I refer to lovingly internally as our, our supercomputer that's run by our data science team. And that, that's really providing the map for our contracting team to go and piece by piece build these networks, uh, you know, system by system, provider by provider, based on quality. And and the interesting thing, and this is a piece that, that people generally don't understand, because we're taking a network that's generally 100%, 98% of the providers in a market, and we're making an exclusive network that's going to include, say, 40% of those providers, mm-hmm. right, by getting rid of, of the, the 60%. Uh, we're going to drive volume to the 40% that they otherwise wouldn't have access to. And in doing that, those providers are willing to give us pricing that's going to beat anything available in the market. And so we start with quality, but we're also able to provide significant discounts to our clients. Interesting. So can we, um, can we talk a little bit about how you, find, how you describe, what, you know, there's obviously – uh, if, you, if you've got people running analytics, then I'm assuming you've created a measure of quality, some sort of a, a coefficient of quality or some sort of formula that tells you somebody is of high quality. Can you let us in on some of, on some of what you're evaluating and determining quality? Yes, and ge- generally what you see in the market is you know, a couple different quality metrics. One, what I would call opinion-based metrics. Uh, you know, what do people think about a provider, right? Which is, I'm not, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to choose a neurosurgeon based on that kind of data. You mean like, Yelp, like the Yelp rating of a doctor? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Exactly. I'm with you Another would be process-based, right? Is, is an individual following a certain process, right? And using process as a proxy for outcomes. Again, it's, it's closer than opinion-based data, but it's still not outcomes-driven data. And, and we are, we're using outcomes-driven data, things like I mentioned, you know, mortality, complications, patient safety, to, to, to uh, determine quality at both the provider uh, and the hospital level. And, and within a hospital, we can actually look at 38 different clinical categories and look at a score from 0 to 100 and understand where they're performing. Uh, we can also look at physician-level quality data. Uh, and we feel we feel pretty strongly that the quality data that we're using to build our networks uh, is the best quality data that's available in the country in terms of what what's out there. So um, when when you go and you you visit with an employer, is it that you are selling them the network itself, or are you selling them the benefit wrapper? So designing the benefit for them, and then also paying the claims for them and dealing with customer services. I guess it sounds to me like you're doing it all. We're, we're actually selling a full sort of turnkey health plan solution. Okay. Uh, 
uh, you know, historically we tried to just sell the network, but that re that required dependence on a carrier to administer the network. And you can imagine over time uh, there was some reluctance mm -hmm. on the on the part of of the carriers to do that. And so what we've decided to do is to make it easy for the HR buyer. And so it really is at, at open enrollment. If you think about open enrollment and the radio buttons that someone chooses from now, Imagine Health can stand by itself as a full standalone health plan solution for a self-insured employer at open enrollment. Very good. And so you're really competing uh, with the Blues. You're competing with uh, Aetna and Cigna and some pretty big, some big names, and maybe in local local territories, maybe some large provider groups that have their own uh, have, have their own health plans, right? So it's a fairly competitive market. If if I'm it, it is a it is a competitive market. Uh, you know, generally the the solution that's provided in the market is that broad panel option, and so uh, you know, so lovingly I would say we're not we're not competing against them. We're just providing another choice, uh -huh. right? And and for an employee or an employer that's interested and and willing to sign up for an exclusive network based on quality, that's also going to give them a significant savings. Uh, we're a great option to offer at open enrollment to allow the employees that, that want to make that kind of choice, uh, we're the option for them. Because generally what's available in the market is uh, you're going to get a broad panel solution and then uh, Mr. or Miss Employee, go figure it out on your own in terms of where to go. Right. Or ask your friend where to go. Well, I, I mean, you think about how people generally pick their doctor, their surgeon, it is exactly that way. You ask a friend, you know, ask your neighbor. We joke, ask John in accounting. You look at the billboard on I-80 and see what it says in terms of, you know, the quality and how happy the people look. Uh, we, we've found that there's no correlation between marketing spend and actual quality. And, uh, and, and we believe strongly that, it, that if you create a network where the default option is the quality option, that people will much, be much better off. Very good, very good. So, as you've built out the business, um, what? How many? How many? Are you in cities or states? Are you nationwide? Where are you? We we are in five different cities right now. We're in Dallas, Chicago, San Antonio, Albuquerque, uh, and, and here in Utah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so three cities in in, in Texas, and, and we're currently looking at expanding into into five, up to five for 2018 and, and hopefully many more for 2019. So I'm, I'm guessing then a lot of your customers are local businesses or are they national businesses? They're actually both. They're actually both. You know, what we found is, you know, most employers that are, that are multi-site national employers have already made the decision to offer local solutions in many markets. An example would be offering Kaiser in California. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they're not afraid to offer a, solu a specific solution in a local geography. They also want us to grow quickly so we can offer uh, them a solution in multiple markets. And so we're, we're following their lead. Uh, we also will go to local employers that may just be in one geography um, and give them the option if they, if they want to join into our, our solution, and they seem to be pretty eager as well. Interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think the in, employer market obviously, you know, got a little bit of a jolt um, with the ACA coming on, and they weren't really sure whether they yeah. were going to continue to offer insurance or whether they were going to not self-insure and go group or go group on the exchanges, et cetera. 
Um, and historically, they've been, you know, a very innovative part of the healthcare market. I mean, most innovation from from my vantage point was often driven by either, well, firstly, employers, and then secondly, by, by uh, CMS. I think that's kind of shifted a little bit to where CMS is driving a lot of the innovation today. But I think I, I, I think employers are starting to come back and say and say things like, "Well, if uh, if Medicare can have bundled payments, why can't I? Why can't I get?" Yeah. It? Are Are you seeing that exactly. in your customers, and are you preparing to offer those types of more advanced contracting and uh, you know, pay, basically value based reimbursement as part of your product? We we are we we are we are absolutely seeing that and. and uh, we're get, we're getting more and more requests for that. I would say on a, on a on a weekly basis, uh, we've added to our team uh, some folks that have deep experience in that, and it's something that we're ready to do. We've we've experimented with a couple of clients already uh, with some big systems in terms of doing that work, but it's it's definitely part of the future. You know, the other thing I would add is that not only have they looked at CMS and seen the innovation, they're also looking at their the, the incumbent providers, the, the employers are, and they're saying, hey, I used to have a lot of leverage with my carrier and get a lot of attention, but, you know, it seems like now they're focused on, you know, either consolidation or now fighting with one another, or they're focused on their government business, or they're focused on their fully insured business, and, and the attention, they don't feel like they're, they're getting the love that they once did and and I'm, and I'm not just talking about small employers. I'm talking about really large employers, and so I think to, to some extent they're getting fed up. They've been focused on you know demand reduction solutions, uh, you know things like wellness and apps for a really long time. I'm not sure that they've seen the the impact to to things like trend and, and health improvement and actual savings with those solutions. And, and I think now there's a big shift to the supply side, which is really where we're focused. Okay, and and so um, I don't want to like ask you too many uh, too many questions that dig into sort of proprietary information. But the one curiosity that I have is is I get that I I get how look if you're going to a better doctor, you're going to be a happier member, right? So if these doctors are filtered correctly. Your your consumer satisfaction should be significantly impacted, and then if, as you say, uh, you're giving them a the proverbial hug as a member, as opposed to making right. their life difficult, um, have you have you been able to get good data on consumer uh, response to this, and be able to compare it to the cable companies and the tobacco companies and the health insurance companies? I would say we are we are just it's it's just starting to roll in, uh, but we're we're tracking it. And, uh, and and the initial results are positive, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And and what we're really excited beyond the, the the smiley faces, what we're really excited over time is to look at the, the improvement in the quality of care, because at the end of the day, that's what's really going to make a difference. If we can improve the quality of care by creating an exclusive network based on quality, uh, that that is really uh, I don't know if it's the holy grail, but it's probably pretty close. Very good. Very good. So we, we talked a lot about culture already in the beginning uh, and, and, and covered some of those tips. And I think we're, we're about running up against time. So um, what I would, would ask is, first of all, thank you for, for joining me. I really enjoy talking to you. I like, I like this idea a lot. And, thank uh, you. and I guess uh, can you give me – first of all, let, let's do two things. Uh, is, there, is there a great book 
that that my listeners should read that you've read recently uh, or, or 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 a few years ago within within the time frame of your starting this company um, that will uh, sort of in, impact the way they either think about recruiting people, starting businesses, or the healthcare business. That's a wonderful question. Um, you know, it's funny. I would say after, as of probably about 10 years ago, I stopped reading business books because <laughs> I found that the people who were writing them had never actually done any real work. Uh, and so I've been, I've been sort of deep into sort of fiction and nonfiction for, for a long time now. But I, but I have to say I did, I did and, and this will be a trite recommendation, but uh, I did just recently read uh, Phil Knight's book, Shoe Dog. Ah. And, and, you know, again, with the caveat that I generally hate these books, it was, uh, it was a wonderfully reassuring read as a CEO of a startup that one day feels like we're going to be king of the world, and the next day is you know is worried about you know are we going to be around? Um, hearing him tell a very transparent story about going through something very similar uh, during the dark days has been very reassuring to sort of keep the faith, uh, keep doing what we're doing. If you believe uh, that that good things will happen, and, and that's been my experience, and so that would be one that I, that I would say. Uh, that I'm sure most people have read, but, uh, but that I really sort of got great reassurance from. Yeah, and I'll and I'll go I'll go on the limb of saying that I have not read that book, but you're about the third or fourth person that's recommended it to me recently. So it feels like something I'm going to have. I'll be reading on the next uh, plane or train ride that I'm on. Um, I so, refuse to read it for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I, I'll I'll throw one back at you. The the book that I read in the last eight or nine months that that was amazing to me is I read this a massive tome on Walt Disney that blew my mind uh it's just it's written by Neil Gabler it's it's a it's a big book but that guy was something else I mean he was just always trying something new and and uh, actually the 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 interesting part about that story is it took a very long time for him to build up his wealth I mean he was always on the edge of going out of business because he kept on spending too much money on these projects. Right, right. Um, it wasn't really until no, after he I, built I, I will put that on my list. Yeah. So, all right. So, so thanks for joining. Are there places that people can find out about Imagine Health? It sounds like a great, great company, a great idea. Uh, blogs, uh, Twitter accounts, website. Why don't you just tell us how people can, can reach yeah. out and find out more about you? So, you know, the, the old www.imaginehealth.com and we're on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and everywhere and in between. And uh, you can feel, feel free to reach out to me directly as well. Uh, so it's just C-C-I-G-A-R-R-A-N at imaginehealth.com. Chris, thanks for joining me. I really enjoyed talking to you. No, great, great to speak with you. And that is a wrap. Thank you, Breaking Health Podcast listeners, for joining us on this podcast. Thank you, Steve Krupa, for uh, for leading a great conversation with Chris Sigaran, CEO of Imagine Health. It's uh, it's great to hear another uh, another exciting and adventurous story in healthcare. So uh, we're very happy to bring that to light on the Breaking Health Podcast. Don't forget to uh, tune in next week. Uh, we are again rebuilding our stock of Breaking Health Podcasts. We'll certainly be bringing something exciting to you. In the meantime, do go on iTunes, give us a ranking, and uh, let us know how you uh, how you feel about this podcast. Feel free to shoot me an email. My email is tom at healthogy.com. 
That's the word health, followed by the letters egy.com. Let me know if there are some uh, guests uh, we should have on this podcast, or just shoot me an email to say hello. I'd be happy to uh, to respond and, and hear what you're working on in healthcare. And uh, again, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us, everyone, and tune in next week for another tale of innovation. <laughs>